coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Farmy with me, Farmy. Hey Cole, I'm Andrew Farmy tonight. <laughs> Hi Farmy. Hey Farmy. It's Farmy for fannies. Farmy. It's Farmy for fannies tonight. This is what hey we're Kids doing. Comics. Welcome, welcome to the show. This is what it's going to be tonight. Just straight. Hey fannies, welcome. <laughs> this is that is Cole Houston, as always, the Jedi Cole. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest because uh, not only is she the voice of reason for this podcast, <laughs> and she is, she is really the thing that allows this show to happen. Because oh my. She, if anybody in this world could put the hammer down on this show in a heartbeat, <laughs> it would be her. She's the unsung hero, the matron saint of Hey Kids Comics, and I would I'd be willing to wager the Jedi whole universe as a whole. But also for this particular issue of this particular story arc, she is going to bring a lot of firsthand knowledge. So we could not do this show without her, uh, Catherine Houston. Welcome Hi, back, everybody. Oh, what yeah, a welcome back what a show. wonderful introduction! I'm just gonna I'm just well, gonna sit in that all nice, toasty, warm. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the thing about it is, not even technically, Catherine is effectively the mother of the Jedi Call universe. I mean, oh. she was encouraging me to get on the interwebs um, ages uh, before I was even comfortable being there. Yeah, well, I mean, she has helped this show in ways that the audience will never know. She has helped me personally in ways that I, I can never express, you know. And Aww. she has been she has been the linchpin of this this small Bahamian empire that we've built. Um, yes, right. <laughs> in the middle of international waters that no one can touch. Otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anybody to uh, run around and, and like. Go like get your ass back in the studio. You've got a show to record. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, but Cole uh, came up with an ingenious um, idea. Uh, I think that it was in some way influenced by Weldon, um, and and influenced well, certainly the the germ of that uh, is there because of Weldon's own vast experience in the industry. He's quickly becoming. Um, amuse for our show i think which is good which is good because you know what you need cole is more story ideas that's what you uh, need yes i i really <laughs> until i've got this thing plotted into 2025 i'm not going to be happy that's right, that's right until you can put the pin down <laughs> at that point and walk away for a while you're not going to be happy but cole what are we doing for the next five issues into into the new decade what are you doing? <laughs> well, that's so true. We're uh, we're going to be heading into 2020 on this one, mm -hmm. and I hadn't even registered that part. But we are uh, bringing you, uh, easing you into the first of five issues. This is Hey Kids Comics 338. Jesus. And now we're getting close to another milestone issue. I know. Declaration of Independence, Techno Union. Oh, we're not, man. We're not talking about that. <clears throat> Max Headroom Toothopolis guy from uh, episode two. <laughs> I want to do an entire show on Max Headroom, on the TV show for Max Headroom, because that show was ahead of its time. Because it had, it had, it had flesh oh, harvesters. Because he, he was ahead. He was just a, a you're right, Catherine. He was, he was just ahead. Yeah. He was just ahead of his time. Thank you for picking up on a joke that I didn't intend. Wow! Um, but he that it, is it, absolutely it, almost brilliant. <laughs> most of my brilliance is solely and completely by accident. Um, but I digress. Uh, yes, techno comics. It's interesting that we would start here because it's the not it's it's the non independent independent comic label. And well, I think what we're going to the, the purpose of this arc really, because the the conceptually independent comic is 
one of those terms that is not all things to all people. So depending on who you ask, is this an indie comic, yes or no, it all boils down to what is your perception of what defines an indie comic. And in this particular case, what we're going to be tackling are the little big indies. We're going to be looking at the the independents that were independents in the indie boom and in the context that they were independent of the big two. Sure, sure. Essentially, even Dark Horse in its in the day and image were considered indies, even well, though it was, it was not... a wholly a wholly different animal, other than just <clears throat> you know a guy in a pen and and something to you know some something to funny say. animals. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about it is, this was a period where Marvel and DC ruled. And you had the occasional, you had other publishers like Bud Plant, and you had other, you know, small houses or independent publishing companies, and you had the comics with an X that we, uh, which is rather ironic where we're headed here, um, which was the naughty stuff. But there wasn't really much to go on um, outside of the big two. Um, and I think in many ways the advent of the aftermarket or the, you know, the direct market, uh, courtesy of Diamond Comic Distributors, basically, once you had that, then there was a venue for everybody. There, Yeah, I I agree with that. And the the other reason, the, the reason that we couldn't do, not, not that Catherine alone doesn't warrant being a guest on basically every issue of the podcast, <laughs> is that... Catherine, you worked for Techno Comics. Yes. Yes. Um, 95-96-ish? If you don't mind me prefacing this, for for one reason, and this is is, uh, cosmically, I've had a bit of a Forrest Gumpian experience uh, throughout (laughs) my career. Um, um, I was a a bookseller and uh, customer service supervisor for a, a a chain of bookstores in the in the eighties. So I got really I started my career out really knowing work working with books. Um I worked <clears throat> uh with uh, two or three different comic book uh stores. Uh plus I worked with Diamond Comics during uh Marvolution. Um I worked in the like medical insurance industry during the time that's being upheaval and Right now, I work in the finance industry. So, if if something is really weird that's trickling through an industry, if it's going through upheaval, it's because I currently have a job with them. You're like a Terry Pratchett and, character. You're like a you're like a, a harbinger of upheaval. When you yeah. when, when you go in, things but, are going to change. But also, uh, Catherine's work career is like a box of chocolates. Yeah, it she is. Know what she's going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's 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 more companies than not that I've worked for that are no longer in business. <laughs> she met she met Nixon that one time. Yeah. <laughs> Got shot in the butt. Got shot anyway. in the butt. She hasn't stopped running. I don't know what's yeah. I don't know how she's recording this. Um <laughs> yes. With that, with that being said, um at, this is around like 19 1995 or 1996. Yeah. And I had been working for um, another chain of, of uh, uh, local comic shops uh, whose uh, whose uh, owners were were um, while very successful extremely paranoid <laughs> and um, uh, and I uh, ended up interviewing with a, 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 with techno comics that was coming into town sure and I had no no idea what they were at all, except for, of course, comic book distributor. And um, uh, went into went into the uh, interview, and um, uh, ultimately, this was all done in in uh, like the the <clears throat> Holiday Inn, you know. Sure, the um, conference room there. You know, because it's like Holiday Inn conference room because they didn't have the location even established yet sure 
it's like it's like you know we're going to open this local comic shop and we need uh, employees. And so I went in and ultimately um, uh, got the the uh, assistant manager position um, <clears throat> because of my experience in both uh, comics and the, the the working for Diamond and and um, uh, you know the like and and the book industry and. <laughs> Um, the day came, and it was this uh, uh, freestanding kiosk in the the lower level of uh, Irving Mall. Nice. And it was it was uh, super fancy. It was um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> kind of a, uh, an inverted cone um, magazine rack all the way around so with the red in the in the in the all the hidey holes in the middle, and then above it these this bank of television screens yep yeah okay and it's it was just <laughs> as god-awful tacky as you can think yes and um uh my first day there i showed up along with my co-workers and um the manager who'd been hired for the place um never showed oh no and so <laughs> and um it's not like they had sent anyone to the home office to say, congratulations on your first day. Here's a clue as to what you're doing. Oh, God. Um, uh, since the manager didn't show up, I went to the mall office, talked to the mall manager, got my power turned on, got my kiosk opened, um, and, uh, uh, you know, got the – because because no cell phones because 95 yeah got my got my uh, um, keepers on the line in the Boca Raton and um, said hey this is what happened and they're like huh you want to be the manager I'm like sure <laughs> and I'm like okay <laughs> field promotion yeah, a, is what we call I, that I was gonna say yes exactly. So I got what Kurt got, which was what you call a ground promotion. Right. <laughs> promotion. A field. Yeah. Field promotion. It's funny how all of these references that you've made even before the show are going back to like war and battle. <laughs> how do you really feel about this company? <laughs> oh, I, uh, how long you got, buddy? I'm um, Hey, we're recording. Uh, we got all the time you want to yeah. talk about it. So let's give us a little setup here first uh, before we go on about what was Techno oh, Comics God. because it has been a long time since Techno was in the vernacular. Yeah. Okay, basically, uh, you want me to give you the, the overview and yes. then yes. you can fly with it. <laughs> Please. Techno, so from my perspective, okay, from feet on the ground, all right, it was – a bunch of marketing people <laughs> who knew what the hell they were doing. Yes. And what what it was is the mentality was if it if you brand a celebrity name on something, be it a tennis shoe or a hat or anything, people will gobble it up. Right. And so what they did was is they is they um, uh, got a celebrity to endorse a concept and a character name, and then they got a bunch of nobodies to write and draw it. And they uh, um, put a big hype. They they uh, blasted it over the audio and the video, and they did the whole lights and shock and all kind of thing, and expected people to come running. Well, I you're, you, I agree with you. I think that's a, a decent appraisal because. Go ahead, Cole. I, I think yeah, from a ground level perspective, that's pretty well dead on. Yep. Because essentially, what if you're unfamiliar, Techno Comics catalog of titles all had celebrity name apostrophe s and the title mm -hmm. leonard nimoy's primortals uh neil gaiman's mr hero mickey spillane's whatever the hell his book was yeah <clears throat> i mean basically it was just the possessive 
of an, a given celebrity and the Mike name Danger of, was Mickey Spillane. Yes. Oh, Mike Danger, that's right. Yes, of Go course. Ahead. Sorry. No, it, it's good. Um, and I, I, I think you're right that the the perception of this company was very much all in the marketing and the branding, and that's all that anybody really cared about or ought to be caring about as far as they were concerned. And you have to understand this was also a period where comic books – we've talked on the show, uh, God, way back in the first few issues of the show about – we did a whole episode, uh, collection equals tuition. Yep. And the misnomers of the collecting boom. Right. And that collecting boom opened a lot of doors to a lot of things, uh, not the least of which was, of course, techno comics. But this was also a period where uh, blockbuster video mm-hmm. was going to get into comics. It lasted about three months. Mm-hmm. Well, in the really in the mid '90s, anybody. Anybody could turn a buck selling comics. Oh, I mean, that's so the, true. The, the, the as, especially I, I know I don't know if you've ever if you've done recently a, a show talking about what it was like working for Diamond, but during during that period of time, um, uh, you would get a, you would get accounts from gun shops and antique stores and and. Uh, just anybody and everybody could uh, could turn a turn a buck selling comics. And this was also a period, of course, where there was sub distribution. Prior to Marvelution, none of the major or minor distri- distribution houses gave a rat's what you did with the books after you bought them. Right. Right. And if you could get enough people who couldn't afford the six hundred dollar at retail a month minimums for having a diamond account, you could find 10 or 12 people who were more than willing to spend five or $10,000 a month to get the best discounts and then sub-sell or you know, mm-hmm. resell at a wholesale rate of maybe 35% off cover, what they were getting for 50% off cover or 55% off cover. Right. Right, and, and they until were, they the, were running their until own the, shop. Yeah, well, quality paper, um, you know, and the print quality thing raised its head. Um, they're just uh, comics were just insanely inexpensive to print. I mean, it was just it's like printing money. But also, this was a period where, like you're saying, everybody who wanted to, you'd have little mom and pop gift shops that would have, you know, were turning a buck, having some comics on hand for the kids. Right. And I think that that is really what typifies the period that made somebody think techno was going to be a thing. Well, here's, exactly. Here's the thing. Because was, these, marketing, these marketing guys are looking at, you know, Ed's, Ed's oil and lube, you know, and what they're making off of their rack of comics and thinking, you know, if we, if we get uh, some major celebrity hype over, over what we're selling – it's uh, you know the sky's the limit the the mistake that they made is is literature people who collect literature are fickle and you can either you can either have a good author a good artist or a good character but if you don't have one of those three you've got landfill well and we can smell and and the thing is we can smell a rat uh, as a comic yes. fan we we have the ability to smell a rat and the reason that the indies a lot of the indies that take off take off is because we know even if they aren't the greatest books in the world right even if they Uh aren't the most amazing things we've ever read we'll support the hustle the love of the game right we'll support the people that make the bad like you know how many bad comics i've bought at conventions because i really (laughs) liked the people that made them you know like Uh like 
I'm just out here just trying to, you know, just trying to get my art out there, you know, blah, you know, self-published or super indie published. Um, you know, I have friends in that business. You know, we all do. Right. We're comic fans. Um, this, you know, what I was talking about earlier with you guys was most of these stories, those are the stories that we hear is – uh, I was talking to Cole before the show started about like even image as as much as we have this painted picture in our head of what image was, you know, uh-huh. at its bare roots, it was these five, you know, jerkwad kid friends that we all knew that were like, we have the talent, we have the backing, we can change the world with our books, with our stories, with our art. That's not what this was. In doing the research for techno, I couldn't find any of those stories. What I did Mm-mm. find were a lot of business journal articles about the industry and how that they were going to attack the industry of comics. Not, hey, we made not mm-hmm. hey, we made a great book and we need a place to put it. And this, you know, and Big Entertainment Inc. is literally what they were is ca- are called. I'm sure Catherine can attest to right. that. Um, right. The company was called Big Entertainment Inc., guys. Come on. Um, said that, you know, they were going to take us under their wing. And, you know, it, we, that failed, but we took our, you know, our, our passion and you know, made this thing. No, it's things like me finding um, – and I sent it to Cole. Catherine, I think I sent it to you. I might not have let you know. I found things like oh, okay. June 30th, 1994 at 12.32 p.m., a press release for Big Entertainment's Techno Comics TM contracts with uh, Bartolo, which is the um, the property group and Simon Property Group. And it's this not, long – Not Simon Property Group. Oh, my God. Yes. Simon Property Group. <gasps> Simon Property Group. <laughs> Before there was anything about the comics, there were these things coming out about how they signed with the largest mall property holder. Not about yeah. the comics, but about how – yeah, right, who gives a shit is the exact right answer. <laughs> but they were releasing it to the business world, not to yes. the comic fans. It wasn't running in previews or comic buyer's guide. Uh-huh. This was over on this end of the world, which um, – You don't think they me. were trying to get investors, do you? You don't think – no. Yeah. Um, do you do you have any because another thing that they did, which is such a a, a portend of the times that, that this came out during, and what they were trying to do was they went in, into business with Prodigy Online Services. Uh huh. Did you guys have that? Were you guys doing anything with that? I'm sure we pimped it while we were there. Yeah, because of this um, whole like CD-ROM comic book thing they were trying to push. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. I want to hear how that I, went over. I I I don't. Um, I'm 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 going to disappoint you and tell you that I don't remember much about it. I'm sorry. I think that that's pretty much the way everybody feels about it. I don't think you're the only one because I remember a few instances where I saw CD-ROM comics, but uh-huh. they were a few instances and it was never in a serious comic shop it's like in a half price books or something like that (laughs) this this was in a period again we're we're having to kind of we're going to jump in the wayback machine shaman yeah please and we we had to we have to put ourselves in a period where a lot of stuff was really novel and the cd-rom was the internet of its day oh yeah i mean this was the coolest thing you were ever going to find and in that context, the tremendously cost-prohibitive CD-ROM comic seemed like a good idea. Like there was, uh, again, to evoke a er- much, much earlier issue, uh, the never-ending eulogy issue of this very show, where we talked about how many times in my own lifetime, especially within the comics uh, you know, within the, the scope of reading and following comics and the comics industry, did the death knell of comics be rung? Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, and to this day. Digital uh, comics are killing yeah. the comic industry, even though they had one of their biggest quarters ever last last quarter. You yeah. know. And then, you know, and you also look at the same thing with the the film industry. Cable was supposed to be the end of the cinema. 
uh, as was television. Um, as is DVD. But, but nobody remembered is. by the time home video comes along or cable comes along that there was a time when something else was the end of television. There are always these ends of, and everybody was so certain until they weren't, and then they were again. <laughs> well, and it seems like they're selling, and Catherine, maybe you can back this up, because I really want to know mm-hmm. what your experience was like in that kiosk. Right. But right. it seems like they were, like you said, it was a bunch of marketing guys selling the novelty. Why do we need big stories? Why do we need, you know, actual, you know, actual content when we have screens and prodigy online and cd rom comics and lights right. and smoke and never look at the man behind the you know the curtain and you know is, is that kind of the feeling that you got while you were there uh, well, the, the, well the impression that i got very strongly while i was there was that um they spent good money on these celebrities to endorse endorse these titles sure and that celebrity name should be enough to to generate excitement. Notice I'm always talking in marketing terms. Sure, you have to. That, it that, was that, drilled that, into your head, that, I'm sure. It was it was that the celebrity name, uh, for example, Leonard Nimoy's Primordials. Leonard Nimoy, he's Spock. He's you know, wow. He's like, you know, it's Leonard Nimoy. What could be wrong with it? You know, he's well, he's Mister Sci-Fi, and 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 so you're you know you're supposed to you're supposed to um, you know lead with you know this is this is Leonard Nimoy's concept. This is his idea, and and you know uh, you know maybe he really did think of it. Or, no, or, he, he, or, no but, the thing about it is. But Those he, celebrities but, weren't just simply signing off on these comics. They did create the core concept, the characters. For the most part, their involvement was genuinely creative, but none of them, to a man, with the exception of Neil Gaiman, knew dick about comics. Poor Neil. Or, 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 and, they were, and they're not – and Leonard Neem was not a writer. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's he's fantastic. I love the man. Um, he's, he's you know, a, I, I love him and I miss him, but he's not. He wasn't a writer. Right. He was and, an excellent nonfiction author, but no, he was not. Just because he was in Star Trek right. doesn't mean he knew how to write science fiction. He didn't write his own script exactly. Yeah. Um, and he, what he, he was a yeah, an act. Well, anyway, we're, we don't need to. We don't need to validate Leonard Nimoy. He he stands on his own. But <laughs> no, anyway, we don't. This is this is a category that he didn't fall in. Is comic book writer. But the only and, comic book writer being Neil Gaiman, at least initially, it was almost like you know, if you went to Stephen King and says I want to do a low budget movie, he would go dig something out of his archives that he wouldn't even publish. Right, it's the, right. his dollar, his, his literal dollar bin that he has that he sells. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's what Gaiman was doing. It's like, Mr. Yeah, Hero he, he, isn't. He lift up the leg on the wobbly table, hand you yeah. something, and you'd this go. Is, Mr. Hero is something he came up with on a visit to the toilet. <laughs> but but in his defense, and, and they sent that off, and then they they sent him the the big bag of cash. In his uh, defense, I do believe that he really. I don't. I don't know that he believed in techno comics, but I do believe that Gaiman believed in his work, and I don't know that their that, that their um, relationship was all that great. You might be right, Cole. You might be you might be spot on with that assessment, but there's just something about it that because because if you look at what he did and he was trying to build a universe out of techno and have have big crossovers yeah. and do these things that they were wholeheartedly not interested in. They, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, they wanted yeah, I, all of these titles to be their own thing. Yeah. yeah there was yeah. no techno universe. But but uh, but you were if you don't mind me interrupting you uh, Andy was asking me about what it was you know kind of what it was like on the ground trying with these titles. Yeah. And and, and we were we were just we were pretty much expected to um uh, it it was uh, they they just couldn't understand why people weren't getting excited about about this product 
we we were we must have been dropping the ball. We must not have been showing the proper amount of enthusiasm or oh, sure, or belief in it. And it's like yeah, and it's <clears throat> and you know as a as someone who's been re- in in retail for a long time, I I I can I can uh, it, it, it's part acting gig. I mean even if you don't you know <laughs> even if you don't use what you're selling, you can still sell it. But uh, this uh, this these these titles just uh, didn't really uh, y- you know comic book fans well enough to know that marketing and selling a, a comic as a product is different than a, 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 a t-shirt or a pair of shoes or a microwave or or a car or anything else yes. Um, because comics are liter- literature, comics and books and art. Yes. I, I put them all in the same category. Those are personal. They have to touch you at, at, at some emotional or, or mental point. You have to connect with them. Um, uh, and and that's, that's what attracts you to them. And um, this these these storylines well and 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 if you look at the list of storylines they're all adult and and you um you start reading you you most people get into comics when they're younger so there's there was nothing really to target the the younger market, the the, the teen market, the preteen market. So literally, and in, in at, at this the Technocomic stand, not only did we carry our own product, we had to carry um, different age level material, which was all non techno, because you you would have somebody come up with a, you know, with a ten year old um, or a six year old. You know, pointing at comics, and you know you can't give them Mike Danger, so <laughs> um, uh, you know you've got to have some Spider-Man or some or something like that for the kid, and then you you, you can talk to the adults about well, the older titles, but it, it was just kind of awkward. That was a question well, I did have about your experiences. Did you? And I guess that kind of answers it, but you can talk to me about the scale. Did you have, like, you had techno, it was branded as techno, but did you right. also have Marvel and DC in the house that you that people, like, that would come over from the opposed comic shop across the street could buy from your stand? Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, see, I, I think the one thing that techno's suits got right was they recognized they were not going to be able to, the the Effectively, the successful indies, in addition to creating a good product, also, that's all they did. They were publishers. Techno wanted to be a publisher and a retailer, and they wanted to make their product available. And Techno Comics were available across the street at the opposing retail store, the comic shop. They were available to comic shops everywhere, but... In malls, mostly in a kiosk format, in Florida there were a lot of actual storefronts as well. But Techno Comics was a full-service comic shop, right down to having uh, statues and collectibles. In addition, it was amazing what they could cram in that tiny-ass little space. Oh, and T-shirts. Yeah, they had T-shirts for God's sake. Yeah. I've forgotten about that part. And the whole thing all, you know, it was like a transformer. It all folded up at night and went to bed. Oh, really? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Try, it was just try just try, like, try having to pack your comic store down every night before you closed. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. I love it, but it's crazy. It is. <laughs> oh, oh it was God. completely insane. But again, that was one of the. Th- few things they got right is realize the only way they couldn't have a kiosk store selling only techno titles right. but what they didn't realize as Catherine perfectly pointed out was these were the type of titles that if they were just an indie publisher doing nothing but publishing would have been the types of 
product that was appealing and marketed toward an older audience, mm-hmm. uh, teenagers, college kids, adults, who were all getting very heavily, they were hungry for something that engaged their adult minds. But the problem was that techno didn't recognize their own potential market. They felt they, that comics were just something that everybody was buying, and if they were buying comics, why not buy techno comics? Right. And I think one of the things that, for me personally, that typified this was once uh, there was a request, or I can't remember if it was a request which came to you there or was handed down to you because it had gone through the corporate channels, mm-hmm. but there were was going to be a donation of comics to a children's hospital. Right. And Catherine was suggesting titles, and I'll let you pick that up. Well... <laughs> oh come on! The, the, the suits are long gone. Oh no! It's I is is what Dilbert calls a career-limiting move. <laughs> no, that that whole thing is behind you. But basically, you you go ahead and take it away, and I'll I'll, I'll augment. Okay. Well, essentially, the, the you know why aren't the what techno titles are you including in the mix? Right. And Catherine's response was, they're not exactly, you know, what I'm trying to do is find some uh, suitable kid-friendly comics to send. Because these kids are going, this is for them to enjoy and, and, you know, add some light to a a dull, long, often painful day. Right. And she was asked point blank, you don't think techno comics are appropriate for children? Right. (laughs) No, yeah, have yeah, you that, read this shit? That went over like a lead balloon. Yeah, um, it's, it's understandable why why you would not suggest I, that. I don't think technophage is something that an eight year old is going to feel yeah any yeah. relation to. Here, kid, have shadow death. It'll be it'll really it'll yeah, pick it'll, up your spirits yeah. so much. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Oh, Cole, Cole, Cole is right. These, these, these people are long gone. It was just kind of a. They wouldn't have cared at that point a, anyway. A, it was a surreal. Um, um, we <laughs> during during the the brief. This thing was open. Maybe, uh, needless to say, this kiosk thing didn't last sure long. I think what was a couple of years. Well, the comic. If that, that I think it may have lasted a year. The comic yeah. company folded after a year. And then they yeah. sold under Big Entertainment. So Techno went under after a year. Then they sold under yeah. Big Entertainment after that for another year. And then they just packed yeah. up. So yeah. So I think I think it was maybe year, year and a half tops um, um, that 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 did the kiosk thing with them. Um, <clears throat> but during that time, uh, they were just really excited, and they had all their managers. Um, at some po- one point, all go to Boca Raton mm-hmm. to go to the corporate headquarters to get a tour and get motivated. You know how they'll yeah, but you had uh, a rally. They, you had a sales yeah. rally. Yeah. Yes, yeah, a sales rally. It was it was to get us all you know cranked and motivated and excited about um, you know all this and <laughs> and. Um, <clears throat> And so I got a free trip to Florida out of it. Sure. And, and um, mainly it was it was marketing meetings, mm-hmm. and it was um, it was people they have their eye on to contract with, to you know have somebody else's um, title and this the the other title again all adult titles, no no, no focus on preteens, no focus on kids. Um, they were real. It was it was almost it was just this side of the kind of um, weekend you take investors on. Yeah. Um, they they took us to the they they took us to the warehouse where all the you know the stuff was was um, you know <laughs> done and of, course, and of course and of course that after after um, I already had experience with. Um, uh, diamond at that point so this was this was kind of uh you know it wasn't exactly visiting willy wonka's factory for me sure so 
<laughs> I was <laughs> kind of looking around going, it was kind of small. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Maybe something else they got right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, it it didn't have it didn't have the feel of 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 creativity. Um, it didn't have if you hang around artists and writers, there's there's a certain atmosphere that they that they just generate. It's a it's a mixture of enthusiasm and coffee. Right. And and um there was just none of that. It was just all We call one that passion big... where I'm from, Catherine. We call that passion. <laughs> and 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 so after I came back from that, I just I really didn't know as with anything that I do, I always I always put my best foot forward to it. Sure. I give it my best effort, but I didn't really have much hope for them. And and sure, and sure, not long after that, they just they just um, folded. They spent um, all their fold, money on fold. taking you guys to Benihana. Yeah. <laughs> um, good being. No, good I think I think that's the entire point. Is even across the street, right? Even even. Any comic shop you walk into, any toy mm-hmm. store you walk in, any you know secondhand toy store, really honestly, any firsthand toy store, but any secondhand toy store, any any comic shop, any secondhand bookstore, the people that work there have a passion for not the product, right? Mm-hmm. It's not right. it's not product passion that they have. It's right. it's a passion for almost the the culture. We right. don't care what comic. Of course, I want you to like the comic that I like because I'm passionate mm-hmm. about what I like. The same reason that mm-hmm. I'll call Cole and yell at him for an hour and a half to go watch Knives Out. Um, but <laughs> because when people like us, when we believe in something, we're really passionate. But it's not that's even right. that. That's why Who Could Beat Up Who is a timeless classic. It is, and that's why we <laughs> we don't do it on this show because it's done in every <laughs> comic shop across this great nation and outside. Um, but there's a passion it's right now all over the country. <laughs> there's a yeah, right. There's a passion for the culture. And right. I get the feeling that with Techno that wasn't it was Ron Popeil's comic mm. company where, you know, yes. you know, we're going to sell this pocket fisherman whether you like it or not. So are you on board? Because this train's leaving the station, you can be on board. I can almost, I can almost quote to you with my background, <laughs> probably what they told you in these meetings. <laughs> Thinly veiled, third-handed threats about sales. Um, yeah. You know, popping, popping marketing. You know, slogans. Did they bring out any of the big guns while you were there? Did they have a Namoy or did they have a, a Shatner or a Guyman or any of those guys I come don't, out? No, no. I'm, I'm, frankly, oh. I'm kind of surprised. <clears throat> no, they they uh, I no no it's it's uh, there wasn't anything like that there. Wow. It was it's all it was just all marketing and and. Um, and how to get that product out there, and how to get people excited about the product, and and um, I, I think, and <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there's not even a thin veil behind my 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 bitterness toward them, so we won't even pretend. <laughs> but what 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 got me, and what still bothers me, is they they were treating something that I care very much about and just just selling it as a as a boxed product right and and thinking that the people who have a passion for this type of thing would just so be gullible enough just to gobble it up because it had a familiar name it's, not, it's trickery I, I, I still haven't forgiven them for that and I, I'm going to go out on the on a limb and suggest that probably amongst the um, oh um, the terminology amongst the vernacular the the corporate speak whether expressed it was certainly implied what 
big entertainment saw, and I see this happen all the time in industries, where you'll see someone come out with a new product within a certain industry that they've never had any involvement in before. Mm -hmm. And the one fallback is always, this is an X number of million or an X number of billion dollar industry. Yep. As if, yes, that money already exists because it's already happening. Your presence only dilutes the, the, when, you know, when you have that eureka moment of sitting in the tub, more water didn't come out of that tub. Uh, right. Got the tub. Right. It didn't increase the volume of water. It just displaces it. Only you're displacing it a modicum. Yeah. You don't understand that you don't walk into a, a $6 trillion industry and expect you're going to get a trillion of it. Right. Right. And it, this is the point where we would probably talk about the actual comics that they put out. Oh, maybe, go ahead. I'm, maybe you're not hurting my feelings. No, but I mean, there really <laughs> isn't anything to talk about. You know, I can give you a litany of what was released, but uh -huh. the, but it's so shallow and uninteresting. Like the like even the Gene Roddenberry stuff, which you'd expect to be something, was nothing. His Lost Universe, Isaac Asimov stuff, which how they got Isaac Asimov. Um, in 1995 to come up with an original idea is is marketing genius in and of <laughs> itself. But, you know, they had, like, Nemoy's, like you said, the Primordials, which honestly was a good idea. And that's kind of the shame uh -huh. of this, right, is some of these ideas yeah. were good. And in the right hands, yeah. they could have been made into something, especially in, like, 95, 96. There were solid writers out there. Cole, could you imagine, right. like, like 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 the idea behind primordials or the idea behind like even Mr. Hero going to going to somebody like uh Alan Moore like the somebody that could have actually made something out of a solid you know a solid idea but they didn't they didn't put anything behind these ideas um yeah you know and that's kind of why I feel bad for for Neil is that you know he had this grand idea of what this was going to be, he, you know, because he's a big thinker. So he, so he, ha, you know, he was like, there's going to be this, you know, this grand universe that I'm going to build out of this. I'm going to be uh -huh. an architect for techno comics yeah. and they could give a shit less about, <laughs> about your grand architect schemes. They just want that dollar right. dollar bill, you know, the, and I'm sure there were people there that did care, you know, I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. But, but when it comes yeah, I mean, down to the dollar, some, some of my fellow, when I went to the, the meeting with the other managers, there are other people there from other parts of the country, who were managers of their own stores. Right. Yeah. Would look at me across the boardroom table, and you know, with with you know the 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 flatline face and the saucer eyes, <laughs> if your coworker that says, I know, <laughs> like, what have we done? <laughs> and I really think that the story of techno, and I, you know, the titles, the unmemorable titles that say that, notwithstanding, because as we get into some of the other companies we're going to be talking about, the purpose of this arc is really more the tales of the indie boom yeah. and some of the casualties of it, because there was a lot of money changing hands and a lot of different ideas about what was worthwhile and, and what was going to sell and what approach to take. And not all of the stories have the kind of tragic underpinnings, no. but right. it seems natural that the worst example of the little big indie is the one we start with. <laughs> and, and this also let me add that like if you were a fan of, you know, Mike danger. All right. Um, what I think what what a shame was is if that was a, a title that appealed to you with who wrote it and who drew it and, and you you really enjoyed it. What what I'm taking issue is is that it's been labeled somebody else's. So so it's coming when you pick it up, it's got somebody else's name blazoned across the top of it 
and it's it's marketing itself as something that it isn't. If if something like Mike Danger maybe would have been allowed to stand alone and be its own thing mm -hmm. with its own author and its own artist and 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 grow naturally like an independent comic is supposed to, it may have really become something. Well, I think that the, the, to touch on what you just said, the, I, I think the shame is, let's say you are a fan of Mark, Mike Danger, right? I think the real yeah. shame is that you're a fan of Mike Danger. Right. The publishing company isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like right. they're a fan of the they're a fan of it if it's making them money. Right. If it's not, they're not a fan of it. So right. that's the that's the thing that would bo that bothers me the most. But that's that's just me talking. I don't know if that's accurate or not. It, no, it just no, feels that I, way. I think that's a very valid point. Yeah. And also, because... I think that a lot of the indies were. You know, throwing their material out and like Catherine, you know, taking offense at the way they packaged it. It's like, you know, you've taken something that the challengers to the throne are, you know, true. That uh, they have that passion that they've got the blood, sweat, and tears, the the sweat equity in a sense, and you're just coming in with a truckload of money and a bunch of paper. Yeah, you're Bloombergging it. Not to, be yeah. too, not to be too, you know, non-evergreen, but you're like, here's here's a, you know, here's a bunch of books and here's a bunch of money. This this has to work. This ha this has to be the thing that works, right? Everybody loves comics now. We've got more money than any of the other one, uh, any of the other companies doing this. So why why wouldn't it work? Like, well, yeah, you exactly. don't understand your uh, audience. That's why it's not going to work. This isn't a car. And and and, and can I can I. I, I won't spend long on this. You can do but, whatever <clears throat> you want, dear. <laughs> because um, be, because I'm old people. <laughs> um, this was what thirty years ago. Roughly, yeah. Okay, thirty years ago. Okay. <clears throat> uh, just don't let history repeat itself, because what I'm what I'm kind of concerned with right now is what was happening with comics then is is going to be happening to some of our favorite media now um i don't want um i don't ever want to see um and what i'm getting close to seeing is uh for example you know george lucas's you know robot tales <laughs> <laughs> that have absolutely nothing to do with with him, other than it's just got his name before it. Now, and the thing that's, is, that's, that's that's a way that because it's it, it's not necessarily a bait and switch, but what it is, it's 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 underestimating. It's not having a faith enough in you to think that you're going to try something that you don't recognize and, and using a recognizable name as a crutch just to draw you in. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now that I fell into that trap many years ago with this book called Monsters and Aliens from George Lucas. Okay. And it was little more than, I mean, it was written by an author, Bob Carrow or something like that. And a lot of it was just taken, like, unused pre-production material from Lucas Productions and, you know, like, hijacking it for storylines or something. And it was just awful. It was not – I was expecting something really compelling, and it was terrible. Well, you know, we've got to – to what you were saying, Catherine, I think we live in a really interesting time in that there's no middle ground right now. You're either Disney, right, and you right. own Star Wars, Marvel, and Disney, yeah, and, or you know, or you're you know who whatever the and Hulu for that matter, or you're you know HBO and whatever they just signed on with an AT and T or something is now a giant conglomerate, um, or you're a Cole and I putting a podcast out into the ether and hoping that somebody mm -hmm. listens to it. You're a guy, right. You're a guy on YouTube, you know, drawing drawing comics, um, 
there's no middle ground. My fear, right. my fear is that people stop taking chances on things. Right. Uh, that, that 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 people. It's I, I my best term I can think of it is just pre-validation. Right. This is got well. This has a this has something. This has a name on it that I recognize. It is therefore pre-validated for me. It is therefore worth my time. Right. And and when that happens to art, literature, media, that's a sad day. Yeah. If this was if you know I'm Disney. And if I was going to get, you know, if I'm going to consider this, I need to have heard about it. It needs to have already been a thing or, you know, right. and then you got the flip side of that, which is these guys, you know, you know, uh, young artists hustling digitally now, putting their stuff out on Facebook or Twitter, you know, in, you know, in, incrementally or self-publishing on Amazon um, in order to, you know, in order to kind of break in and, Nobody, you know, there's no middle ground with somebody saying, I'm going to build an indie comic company the same way that, you know, Image did or Malibu did and give these guys a shot. There's there's no there's a no man's land that has trenches and mines in between those two things. And that's the part that really scares me is right. Either have to literally DIY it from the ground up and somehow get a following enough that you end up being a Fiona Staples or, you know, or a Chip Zdarsky or one of these guys that's, you know, or, or girls, one of these people that's coming up in the world and, and gets signed by a Marvel or a DC. And the only way you can do that, you can't go to DC's offices anymore with your portfolio and say, look how good I yeah. am. Hire me. Or go to yeah. a convention and sit down in front of Jim Lee and crack open your portfolio and say, is this right. good? And he says, oh, kid, here's a nickel. Come by the studio tomorrow. That doesn't happen anymore. So, no. So, and companies like Techno were sort of the harbingers of that world coming into mm-hmm. the fore. You know, cause, because what we've started to see past that point is, you know, big marketing. You know, it's no longer, you know, comics are no longer for kids. You know, now they're for businesses to invest in, and that right. is a problem. That's always a problem with art, though, is corporate they're a art. commodity. Yes, yes. Well, I, I think something that occurred to me in the conversation, it, you almost want uh, Ian Malcolm there to be telling techno <laughs> in the past. Always. <laughs> always. Just, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. You always you, you want Ian the Malcolm there, though. That's not yeah, a... Yeah, it's like, you know, you saw other comic companies being successful. You had the money, and you spent it and spent it and spent it, and it was wrong, and you paid the price. Now, do you think here's, – here's the last question I want to ask, and Catherine, you have been the best. More information oh. on this than I could have ever hoped. I was so excited, and this conversation did not let me down. So much cool stuff. <laughs> do you think that this served as a deterrent? For other companies trying to jump in and do the same thing, at all? Because I didn't, I don't um, see a lot of this of having happened post this. You know, if it's 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 all about if they do their research. Unfortunately, history repeats itself so often, and uh, uh, I would I would like to think that anyone doing their homework would look at this and see what a total crash and burn this was. But um, uh, I, I I don't know. Because uh, I don't uh, know whether this was a cautionary it, tale uh, even at the time. You, you know, know? It, stupid like nature finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Cole, can you think, can you think of a um... – can you think of an instance of this of this kind of thing happening again in your you know in in your memory with Diamond either of you like something something this egregious going down or or was this the cautionary tale that that stopped was this the thorn I, in the pot I think that that this happened at a period where a lot of stupid had found its way mm-hmm. uh, as I had mentioned uh, Blockbuster for example who balked at the con they couldn't figure out the concept of when they placed their orders it was two months in advance yeah and that stuff would when it did start coming in would start coming in every single week and what i baffled me about that 
flummoxing them so badly was isn't that what happens with videos that's true that's aren't true. there new titles every tuesday that's true why is this such a shock to you uh but there were a lot of uh there was a, a now defunct uh, chain i don't know if it was just in texas uh what was the name of that um it was a record store hastings? Now, hastings yeah hastings records yeah. got yeah. big into comics and retail hated them because they were doing it right. They were doing it as a sidebar, and when the sidebar doesn't work, you just toss it to the side. Right. So nothing stayed. I mean, if, if stuff stuck around, they weren't going to maintain 40 years of back issues. Right. They just yeah. blew it out like it was so much Christmas uh, garlands and lights. It yeah. was just, you know, if this stuff sits around for three months, we blow it out to make room for the stuff that's coming in on a constant but you know the bottom line is that techno came in a period where everyone in comic retailing was certain that their fortunes were going to be made and that the industry owed them yeah because where was their uh, piece of the pie damn it exactly right. because it was right. a multi-billion dollar industry after all why can't they get their piece? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Catherine, I'm glad that I'm, I'm sad that you had to go through that. I'm glad it didn't break your comic oh. book spirit at all. Oh No, it was, it was maybe a year, maybe two years tops out of my life. And, 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 uh, my, you know, buy me a drink sometime because my, uh, my, my, uh, job history is, uh, uh, would would rival uh, Forrest Gump's at some point, <laughs> but uh, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> and we'll have you on for it. Don't worry. We got, you know, we've got a long planned and awaited, you know, at least one issue of this show coming up at some point in the next ten years on Diamond. So you'll be oh. you'll be at least on one of those. Don't you worry. I'll be there. You're not getting out of that. <laughs> um, Cole, do you have any final thoughts for this one? And, and what are we doing the next one? Do you re even remember at this point? I know this has been a whole thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, we rearranged a few things. We're going to have Weldon on the final issue because he used to work for an indie that I got dead wrong, which works out in a way better because it was the only success story. Oh, in nice. my original incarnation of this arc. Uh, but our, our next issue of um, Declaration of Independence is Malibu Kin, K-I-N. Oh, Malibu. Where we talk about Malibu comics who brought us such things as Prime. I, <laughs> I love Malibu. And Malibu's a bit of a success story because they did get eventually folded into Marvel. Uh -huh. so, so they did get bought. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I guess is a success after a fashion because they didn't fold. So, um, so I'll say that that's something at least. Well, well, good. I'm 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 glad that um I'm I'm glad we're doing Malibu next because there's there's all kinds of interesting things that happen with Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, Catherine, you've been great. Thank you so oh, so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, and and you're always so kind, and and I had a great time. Good, good. All right, Cole. Well, we will be back here next week with more of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about Malibu, of course. We have Comico. <laughs> Defiant. The comic, company. The comic or the Comic Company. Uh, we Defiant. have Defiant. Oh, Defiant. This is going to be such a great arc. And the light is on, but nobody's home. <laughs> that was such a, a brilliantly appropriate uh, icon uh, logo for them. Didn't they use of, the lighthouse or the? Yeah, it was yeah. like this crenulated lighthouse or castle. Sorry, that was a, that was an old diamond joke. It works. Yeah, it old works. parapet. <laughs> yeah. So we got defiant. What else is in that mix? And then the final, we're capping this off with a claim. Nice. Because if you make great uh, video games, you must make great comics. Right. <laughs> this is the mistakes were made story arc. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why don't you plug us up, Cole, and we'll get out of here. Well, we're coming to you from the Jedi Cole universe at JediCole.com. 
I'm Don Pardo. Uh, we are, you can uh, write to us at jcmail at yahoo.com. And, uh, of course, be sure and check me out because uh, I'm going to self-promote here heavily uh, on dallasonair.com on the first and third Sundays of every month where uh, myself and Eddie Medina on uh, the from uh, 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central uh, live stream the Ranch Corps Pit live with the talk lord of the Sith himself, Zach Schroeder, joining us. And the occasional guest. And uh, on the third Sunday of every month, my other show from 930 to 1030 a.m., Isle of Toys, because I can't get enough of toys. And uh, be sure and check out uh, third Sunday of December, All I Wanted for Christmas. Nice. Where we talked to a lot of podcasters about toys that they really wanted at Christmas and either didn't get, got, and fell out of love with or really really wanted and got and have a tremendous memory thereof Listen, <laughs> if somebody if, if one of them jerks doesn't say sectars they're lying <laughs> everybody wanted that silk glove everybody wanted that silk glove uh, you can you can find us on the socials at HK comics show um, join us next week for more hey kids comics by collect enjoy your comics uh, even if they're techno comics, um, I went back. I actually read a couple in, in preparation for this. And, you know, at the end of the day, they aren't that bad. They aren't that bad. You can give yeah. them a shot. You can read them. You know, Neil is still Neil. He writes a good comic. What are you going to do? He's, <laughs> he's good at it. All right, guys. Say good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, good night everybody. Uh, Andy Farmy. <laughs> signing off. <laughs>